The following is a paid program, and the views expressed are those of the hosts and guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPTF or Curtis Media Group. Information provided is of a general nature. Listeners seeking specific advice should contact a licensed professional in the appropriate area. Welcome to Heart Health Radio with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefall. Heart Health Radio, Heart Health Radio, oh, 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 hearthealthradio.com, Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio is meant for information purposes only. Before taking any action, talk to your doctor. This is Heart Health Radio with Dr. Franklin Weefald, and we are uh, live on the radio to talk about stuff that has to do with COVID and a lot more. Oh, yeah. We've got a lot of really interesting heart stuff today, diabetes stuff. Yeah. And, of course, uh, what, it be 18 months now into this outbreak? Yeah. I, I just don't believe it. I, it depends on who you listen to because there were people who are now saying, well, it's not really Christmas time or January I, October, last. October, November of 2019. It might have been earlier. Yeah. But I, you know, I was wrong way wrong when we started talking about this i if someone had told me yeah. we'd still be talking not only talking about it but fighting this pandemic mm-hmm. now i wouldn't have believed them and two things asymptomatic carriers we didn't realize early on we're going to spread it and rightly i mean naturally so because they didn't know they had it right and then these variants these mutations that have come out and just are hammering us and hammering us. Now we got a, we got Delta going on. Right. Now they say there's Lambda in California. Oh, so yeah. Delta is a, a, a particular mutation in the genetic makeup of the virus that has made it more contagious. Right. And then Lambda is a totally different mutation. Right. And um, a lot of times mutations in these pandemics are are ones that make the virus less infective and it sort of goes away. Right. It's just the opposite now. And people are saying, this is going to be around forever. And so every year we'll need to get a new vaccine to cover the mutation that's coming. I don't know. It'll be like the flu, influenza. But uh, this has just been, um, you know, hammering us. And when's it going to stop? Maybe not. We're going to talk about CDC report, a CDC report about masks and children yes. in schools. Very, very interesting. Very, very interesting. important. Yeah. Because it goes against some of the advice that other people are, are giving, yet we have to trust the CDC. They're, they're the Centers for Disease Control. My gosh, they're the government. I wish the government would just tell us what they want us to know uh, that and would be how too to easy. think about it. That would be too easy. It would be too easy. Well, I mean, you know, let me ask you a question. <laughs> yes. You know, uh, what are they telling us about UFOs? I don't know. <laughs> I, you know everybody laughs about this. Yeah. But if you've seen those videos, yes, yes. Uh, it's scary. And, of course, what do they say? Well, maybe it's China and Russia that have these things that zip around faster than anybody can do. I can tell you right now. Yeah. If that were the case, yeah. the Chinese would be crowing about it, and so would the Russian. Right. So why why tell us that? Why don't you just say, we don't know what these <laughs> things are, and uh, we can't explain it by any terrestrial means. Right. So who knows what the you're, government's telling us. You're fascinated us. by this, aren't you? Yeah, because um, why? 
I, you know what I think they are? Hmm. I think they're drones from an uh, some from civilizations, you know, way the heck out, yeah. who are you know exploring things like Montana, <laughs> maybe farther, Idaho, farther than that, <laughs> Idaho. <laughs> okay. But anyway, that's what I think. And if you're uh, a UFO freak, call us up because I'd like to talk to you about it. All right, we're going to talk about the Sturgis rally, uh, government people going wild, uh, people you know with one title. Not quite staying in their lane. No. Advising about subjects that maybe they weren't qualified for or aren't qualified for. Yeah, that's about it. That's a lot of people. In the the, yeah, right. I've got about nine stories with that. Yeah, so absolutely. we'll talk about it. Let, let's update people. We've talked about Sturgis, yeah. a motorcycle rally that drew tons of people. Well, I, probably what? Um, 400,000 people. That was August 6th through 14th. Now it's about two weeks later, and yes, cases are going up in South Dakota. In five states, they have linked 178 virus cases to the rally. Yeah. To me, that sounds like a low number. A very low number. If it's really 178 versus 400,000 out of 400,000 people, then it's very low. Now, sure, it's possible and, and likely that there are going to be more cases uh-huh. um, because people got together and spread Delta in Sturgis at the uh, motorcycle rally. But if you look at Illinois, and they're all claiming that Sturgis definitely caused a increase, but they're saying that Lollapalooza... Right. which was done in Chicago, and, and they claim, well, they had to be vaccinated or, or show a negative test. Um, the cases in Illinois have gone up, too, mm-hmm. afterwards. So, you know, who do you, whom do you believe? And I don't know. I, I believe all the political people. Right. And so if you look all at— All the politicians. Yeah, if you look I at South them. Dakota, yes, their cases have gone up from 2 to 300. So what do the headlines say? 10,000% increase after Sturgis. And that sounds terrible. But when you go from, you know, a handful of cases to <laughs> 300, right. when you compare on Illinois, when they've gone to thousands of cases to more than thousands of cases. So the answer is we don't know. Right. But what does this tell us? It tells us that there is a political slant to this news. And that is one of the dangers. Yeah. we got to take away the political slant and mm-hmm. say... Um, what's really the truth backed up by science, not what is on your political agenda. So obviously South Dakota is a red state. Mm -hmm. Illinois is a blue state. And the mainstream media are are touting a certain spin. And, you know, the right-wing media are touting their own certain spin. Mm -hmm. And what we try to do in the show is not have one spin or the other. I mean, I may have a political bias concerning my politics, mm-hmm. but not when it comes to this. And, and we're going to talk later on. Um, we have talked before about what you say to get try to convince people to get vaccinated. And it's it, it has a spin to it, and mm-hmm. it shouldn't. And there are ways to get people vaccinated. We're also going to talk about natural immunity. Yeah, very folks, interesting. Folks who listen to this show or have listened to the show for a long time it's funny when the TV starts catching up with us and they you hear about monoclonal antibodies. Right. You feel free to just say, oh, Dr. Weefall told us all about that six, eight, ten months ago. A long time ago. A long time ago. In fact, you know when we first talked about it? Hmm. was in 2019 with the flu epidemic. 
mm-hmm. influenza epidemic at that time. They had monoclonal antibodies uh, against that particular influenza strain. And if you go back to 1919, you remember they were talking about convalescent plasma? That was a mm-hmm. real big thing before monoclonals came out. Mm-hmm. And what was that? They were taking people who had COVID and had recovered, right. and they were taking their blood and finding their antibodies against uh, COVID and giving it to people who were in the initial stages of COVID, and it worked. Well, they did that in 1917 and 1918. This is in the before Spanish they even flu? Knew, yeah, before right. they even knew what antibodies were. Uh-huh. And they were giving the plasma of recovered influenza patients to those uh, in, in, by a, a transfusion, to those who uh, were sick with the influenza thing, and they got better. When you say plasma, plasma. Is, that, is that the same as blood? Yeah, no. Okay, so blood contains... Uh, cells, so the red blood cells, that's uh, what carries your oxygen. It carries white blood cells, which are your immunity. But then it's got a liquid that is called plasma, and it's got dissolved proteins and sugars and fats. And so what, I don't know if anybody's seen this on TV, but you uh, put blood in a centrifuge, Uh which is that thing that whirls around and separates things by weight. And when you do that and, and take the blood tube out, you have all the red blood cells in the bottom of the tube, yeah. and you have this yellowish liquid on top, yeah. which is clear, and that's called plasma. And it contains proteins and all the good stuff, the antibodies, and you can you actually use plasma uh, for all sorts of treatments, and mm-hmm. one of them is COVID, um, convalescent plasma. It's the clear liquidy yellow stuff that contains all the goodies and okay. doesn't have the blood cell. So, yeah, and then what they can do is they can take plasma and isolate important proteins. So what's the name of that company in, um, not Novo, but Griffles. Griffles? It's in Clayton okay. in Joko, Johnson County, my um, practice home. Yeah. And what they do is they make drugs out of plasma, and they, they take thousands of people's blood and turn it in and spin out the cells, turn it into plasma, and then they make life-saving proteins by, by extracting those life-saving proteins. So um, hemophiliacs, for example, right? factor nine, and all these other things that they can give to hemophiliacs to prevent them from bleeding to death. These come from plasma companies, companies that, that make good medicines out of plasma. Okay. Griffles. Griffles. You never heard of Griffles? I've never heard of them. Yeah, it's right next to Novo Nordisk where they make insulin yeah. and other things. And then right there is Griffles where they, I mean, they, you wouldn't believe the trucks pulling up with bags of blood. I mean, just tons of it. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> you know that they contain bags of blood. You don't see them. It's not like a cattle trailer oh, it is. where you see it, the cows. That's true. That's true. <laughs> you but just I, assume. Listen. The people who work there are lifesavers and they're unsung heroes. Think about how hard that is to do that right. Sure. And they do it right. I I admire anybody who does complicated things right. I can't change a tire correctly. But I'll tell you what, there are people in this world who can do surgery and chemistry and all that Neat stuff. I I appreciate that. They do it right. Listen, we're going to talk about monoclonal antibodies. We're going to talk about that CDC mask thing. And then we're we're going to also go off on other things like obesity. And the new uh, diabetes drugs that are being repurposed for heart failure. And and if you sit home and watch uh, television during the daytime 
and you see on Barnaby Jones an ad for this stuff, you'll say, I knew that. Yeah. I know that thing because Dr. Weefall told you, me about it. Do you watch daytime TV? I, I often don't. Well, no, let me tell I you work. something. Okay. Yeah. At Princeton. Yeah. Okay, this is the supposedly, you know, the intellectual capital of the world. I sure. would walk into my eating club at lunch. And you know what? Everybody would be surrounding the TV watching <laughs> One Life to Live, <laughs> young and the restless. And they were just glued to the TV. Smart as they were. Yeah. They were glued to the TV. I guess. Right. I've never watched a soap opera before, have you? Uh, yeah, when I was in high school. Yeah. Oh, my God. But it does. Re- it reminds me of something somebody told me once. It said, airline, airline pilot, uh, surgeon, microchemist, uh, rocket scientist, doesn't matter. Every single one of them stand next to a window on a thundery, cloudy, rainy day and says, yep. Sure is coming out. They're coming down out there. It sure is coming down out there. Doesn't matter how smart you are. Yeah, that's true. All right. Listen, we've got a lot more on the show. We'd love your phone calls, 919-860-9783. We've got some information about monoclonal antibodies and where you can get them coming up next. We had a little bit of a disagreement on this, Dr. Weefall. We're on the radio, by the way. You're Wake kidding. up. Yeah, we, we just we just came back. This is Heart Health Radio. Sometimes you gotta Yeah, you get to wake me up. I was calculating something. He was figuring out, you know, how effective some treatment was and Well no, the question became to me, but when we were off the air, <laughs> how many people have died of COVID who've been vaccinated? Yes. Okay. And the answer is 4,150. Oh, my gosh. That seems like a lot. Yeah, but there's a lot but of people. there are 200 million people who have been yeah. vaccinated. So that turns out to be 0.002%. Okay. Okay. So when you look at now the death rate of getting COVID, mm-hmm. okay, so the death rate of COVID after the vaccine is 0.002%. Right. All Of all comers. It's about... One point zero point one percent now zero to zero point four percent of the people who catch COVID who die. So you're talking about a two thousand fold increase in your risk of dying if you haven't had the vaccine. Well, and you know, it, we need to be able to tell people the actual numbers. Mm-hmm. So yes, four thousand one hundred fifty people have died of COVID after receiving the vaccine. But that's 0.002%. You're much more likely to be struck by lightning and killed or win the lottery. Sure. So, yeah, these are reasons to get the vaccine that are not tilted in one political way or another. These are facts. It's just numbers. Just numbers. Just numbers. Just numbers. And every death is terrible. We're going to talk about them clinically because it's a medical show. Right. It's, just, it's the way it's going to be. Right. We're not you know, discounting that these 4,150 people— but when you hear these numbers, you have to take them in context with, you know, with, with the people who've gotten the vaccine. So it's like you're getting the numerator sure. without the denominator. Yeah, you can't and, have And that. We're, our job here is to give you the denominator and then the percentage. Okay. And that's what we're doing. 75 Florida doctors yeah. either walked out or didn't walk out, yeah. depending on who you ask. Yeah. And they held a press conference, right. and they said what? Well, they held a press conference saying that they were burned out and disgusted 
by taking care of people who are sick from COVID who weren't vaccinated. Mm -hmm. And I think that they should look in the mirror Mm -hmm. while they're saying this stuff and understand that that is, in my opinion, against the ethics and the teachings that we have as physicians. Uh Um, We can't be blaming people for being sick. Being sick is something that we should always show compassion mm-hmm. and understanding and above all love. Um, what are you going to do? You're going to walk in when someone's getting bypass surgery and look at them in the eye and say, you stupid fool. You ate at McDonald's and you smoked. This is your fault. No. And listen, I'm going to do surgery on you, but it, it <laughs> ticks me off that I have to do it. Right. Of course not. And so, you know, I have been very effective in my office in convincing people to be vaccinated. And the reason I have been effective is mm-hmm. I, I listen to my patients and I say, I understand. I mean, if I were you and the limit of my knowledge, not to say you're stupid, but the limit of your knowledge is of, of COVID is Facebook, mm-hmm. is Aunt Sue, um, your cousin, uh, who all tell you that if you get the shot, you're going to die. I mean, looking at, you know, who's that rapper, DMX, who died two days later. Mm-hmm. My niece just keeps repeating that, that she refuses to get the vaccine because DMX, one of her favorite rappers, died two days after the vaccine. Now, of course, he died from doing stuff he shouldn't have done regardless of the vaccine. But it you have to understand where someone's coming from and why they think the way they do. And so I do what I just did, is mm-hmm. cite statistics. I draw them up on the board. I say, yeah, you can get myocarditis and you can get very sick from it. Right. But of a thousand people who get myocarditis, who just get it from nature, uh, there's going to be a thousand four who get right. it, right. who have the vaccine. In other words, there's only four out of a thousand greater risk of getting the myocarditis. But that's all you hear. You get the mRNA vaccines from Pfizer or Moderna, and you're going to get myocarditis. Mm-hmm. You're not. And guess what? The risk of getting myocarditis from COVID infection is higher than mm-hmm. the risk of getting myocarditis from the vaccine. So if you use a little love and understanding right. and, and you assure people that of course, it's logical to make the conclusions that they've made based on what they've heard. Because Facebook doesn't tell you this. It doesn't tell you the percentage risks. It doesn't tell you the the true numbers and the benefits of getting the vaccine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I'm about 80% effective now. And when I spend 15 minutes, and first thing I do is listen. Right. Um, they'll say, Dr. Weefald, my, my aunt told me that it makes you uh, magnetized. And then I listen some more and they say, my cousin told me that it's going to cause a heart attack. And then I read on um, Facebook that, you know, you are going to get a chip implanted from Bill Gates. And I just listen and then I explain Mm -hmm. how these things aren't really true. And I also say, look, who are you going to, whom are you going to trust? You're going to trust your doctor or are you going to trust Billy, Billy Joe, who really doesn't know anything. And you don't, uh, I mean, you care, but you don't have a financial interest in a in, That's the in a other thing I tell thing. them. You know, you're not. Yeah. Do you know patients think that doctors get kicked back from drugs? 
Really? Oh, my gosh, yes. So if I prescribe uh, Eliquis, okay, that's a great medicine if you have atrial fibrillation to prevent a stroke. Yeah. And some insurance companies, the uh, co-pays 10 bucks. Others, hmm. it's 400 bucks. Huh. And so I have patients come back and, you know, some of them really believe that I prescribed it so that I get a bigger kickback. Uh-huh. And it, uh, but do I get mad at them? No. Because, you know, we've been turned into villains, physicians. And it started in the administration before uh, President Trump's uh, when the president at that time got up and basically said we were crooks, that we cut off people's feet for $80,000 instead of working hard to fix them. That is a, that's a true speech that oh President Obama gave. And so I have to convince them that I have no financial interest in this. Right. And the first thing I tell patients, well, not the first thing, but I say, listen, I don't get paid if you get the jab. You know, the right. English call it jabs. Yes. If you get the, the COVID jab, I don't get paid. Okay. So I just want you to know that. Right. So that you understand I'm doing this from the bottom of my heart, trying to help you. And um, I, I would say this to them. If you get hurt from the vaccine, uh, I'm going to feel terrible that you got hurt from the vaccine, but I'm not going to feel terrible that I convinced you or I tried to convince you to get it because things happen and you can't control every single person's outcome from anything. But I will tell you that there is, and again, this is on Facebook or a certain slice of the, the internet where they say, you know, this is all about control. If they can make you yeah. get a shot in your arm, hey, then the next thing they're going to ask you to do yeah. something else. I, I believe in the carrot approach and not the stick approach. Right. Um, I believe in uh, maybe a financial incentive. And instead of, um, you know, tr- there's a company, I can't remember who it is, is airline. Uh-huh. If you don't get the vaccine, you can still work. You've got to wear a mask. Yep. You have got to be tested once a week. And they're going to take $200 out of your salary. Mm. Now, I would do it the other way, because I would give a bonus to those who are vaccinated. Right. And then what I'd also do is try to educate and, and try to get people to understand why they want you to have the vaccine. Now, do I think there should be vaccine mandates? I'm going to tell you right now, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. All right. We're going to talk about mask mandates coming up on the show. You want to jump in on that? Yeah. Here is the telephone number, 919-860-9783. And we're going to talk about the no-no diet and semi-glutenide, something like that. Something. Now back to heart health. Have a question for Dr. Weefald? Call 919-860-9783. This is Heart Health Radio. We begin with the Department of Corrections. Because Dr. Weefold made a small error of a numbers. A small error. Um, COVID breakthrough cases. I saw 4,115 people uh, hospitalized or died. And I, I misstated. I said 4,115 people had died from COVID after getting the vaccine. That's hospitalizations. And uh, the true number is even more impressive. 750 people only in the United States of America who have been vaccinated and have gotten COVID have died. So that is a really small number and shows you that the vaccines are very protective, even against Delta. Very good. Here is Rose Hoban from North Carolina Health News. Hi, Rose. Hey, fellas. How are you? What's good. going on? I, I haven't followed the news all week. What's going on? 
Well, I mean, I just to piggyback off of what Dr. Weefault was saying, um, we've been talking to hospitals, and they, uh, urban and rural, they're saying the same thing, which is that very few folks who are vaccinated are getting really sick from COVID. Um, right. Novant Health put out a graphic about I don't know, 10 days ago now, so I'm sure they have more. But they had, at that time, they had 501 people hospitalized. And of those, 455 of them were unvaccinated. In their ICU, they had 106 people, and only nine of them were um, vaccinated. And the rest were unvaccinated, 97 people who were unvaccinated. And then of the people who were on life support, there were 67, you know, like on a ventilator probably, and um, only four of them were vaccinated. And uh, Cone Health put out similar numbers, and I called up the spokesman for Cone Health, and I said to him, can you pull the numbers for me age-wise, like the unvaccinated folks versus the vaccinated folks? And he said that he went back and looked at their uh, electronic medical records and found that of the Cone Health patients, they had 117 COVID patients. 97 were unvaccinated. Those unvaccinated people, their average age was 57. And the vaccinated people, their average age was 70. I mean, Dr. Weefold, that was not a surprise to me. Yeah, no, I I don't think so at all. I think you're absolutely right about that. Um, Because your your immunity kind of wanes when you're older, you know? Yeah, but, but also... The level of inflammation in the body is a direct correlation with age. And that's why talking about diet and the anti-inflammatory diets in elderly people, people of my age, um, it's really important. Because I think the more inflammation in your body overall, that's why diabetics and hypertensives, uh, untreated heart disease patients are that much more at risk. Because they have a higher level of inflammation. You know, I'm, I'm on your website right now. And there is something really cool. Um, four things about North Carolina coronavirus data and tells us and doesn't. This is uh, what, Laura, Leora Engel-Smith? Yeah, now that's an old story. That's from, that's from last year, if you look at the date. Okay, I'm um, looking at this thing. And it was leading causes of death by day in North Carolina. And it was it was a um, moving thing where you could see oh. over time the, yes. the mm-hmm. where COVID stood, and it was mm-hmm. you know back in um, March, early March, it was very low, and then mm-hmm. all through April, and it's now the third leading cause of of death uh, mm-hmm. at times. It's mm-hmm. fascinating. Um, I know, and, graph. and I will say that I think earlier this year, if you sort of go, if you watch this it's very it's kind of it's sort of um hypnotic to watch yeah. right there was a point in time i think in like january and february where covid was the leading cause of death yeah so it's just you know uh, the good news as, as i think you and i we have talked about is that we have treatment in the form of dexamethasone and we've got um uh, uh, uh monoclonal antibodies which are doing a pretty good job and those folks who are in the hospital now are younger Right, which is good, yeah. mm-hmm. um, but um, the uh, but the we're still seeing deaths. I mean, I think we had like 106 deaths last week. Wow. Yeah. So wow. there's 
still, you know, it's still a challenge. It's still a challenge. For details on this and every other health story you could think of, uh, or actually, technically, every other health story that Rose could think of, go to <laughs> NorthCarolinaHealthNews.org. There's something about North Carolina prisons and jails with increased COVID cases, and and you know it. It's it, it gets if Delta goes through a facility, it's going to mm-hmm. affect people very mm-hmm. strongly. The the good news is that it turns out in the prison system, I think they've done a pretty good job of vaccinating the inmates right and then and then covid ripped through those prisons last year so a lot of those folks have already been exposed um but uh there's still a need to vaccinate the corrections officers can i just ask one other thing sure sure um or just point out one other thing dr weefold did you see the study from rockefeller university that was published i think it was last week or um maybe a week and a half ago now i think it was in nature they found, very interestingly, that the folks who got COVID and then got a vaccine, that their immunity is likely stronger yes. than the folks who just got the two vaccines. It is. That, that article is right here on our desk, and I'm glad you brought it up because we were going to bring it up. I think it's fascinating. Um, natural immunity is natural immunity. And right. the reason why I think that's true is because the vaccine is really focused on one part and one part only of the coronavirus, and that's the spike the protein. The receptor binding. Spike, right. The receptor so, binding domain. Right. Mm-hmm. And so when you get a natural infection, all sorts of different parts of the coronavirus are going to be targeted by your own immunity. And the biggest thing is natural killer cells mm-hmm. and T cells are going to be activated by N. A numerous um, uh, parts of the coronavirus. So you have uh, triple whammy, quadruple whammy. Mm-hmm. You're going. Your immune system is going after all sorts of different things. When your immune system has been primed only to make antibodies against the spike protein, by by um, you know first principles, it's not going to be primed against other parts of mm-hmm. the uh, virus. And its natural immunity has been shown to be superior. Uh, not only in COVID, but in all sorts of illnesses, to um, artificial immunity, we can call it, or Although they uh, have found that natural immunity wanes a little faster than vaccinated immunity. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was really interesting. I, I heard these the two of the main authors um, in, in an interview, and they kind of like, they really broke down the paper. And they were saying, though, that um, they think, though, that the, the, the spike protein the, the, the site where they're targeting mm-hmm. the, um, on the spike protein is mm-hmm. pretty robust in that, you know, the spike is kind of deforming, blah, blah, blah. But um, they're still able to kind of, you know, the antibodies are still able to keep targeting that. So that was like a kind of moment when you're when I was listening mm-hmm. to them. They were they were strangely optimistic, you know, even at this time when hospitalizations are climbing, climbing, climbing. These two were like, we're very optimistic. And I was like, oh, that makes me feel a lot better. Mm-hmm. All right. I always feel like I'm breaking up a, a hot and heavy conversation in the science club. Um, but Are you calling us nerds? Those okay, of us... Wait, Rose, do wait. you mind being called a nerd? Because I don't. I, I, I relish being called a nerd. And uh, Dr. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed in our newsletter this week, I posted a link to the nerdiest thing 
I think one of the nerdiest things I've ever seen. It is a um, it's a parody song that um, uh, uh, satirizes, you know, those like we are the world kind of mega star. You get a lot of people mm-hmm. hit. And this is a song praising PCR testing. So <laughs> yep. go and it is. Well, I was math team. And look for the PCR song. Yeah. I, I was math weird. team in high school. I was science <laughs> team in high school. And I'm proud of it. All right. All right. That's right. Exactly. The guy, the guy who uh, was in the AV club has to shut you guys down. I was in Thank that you. too. <laughs> I was in that too. <laughs> Thank you, Rose. You can find uh, that article and link and a lot of other good things at NorthCarolinaHealthNews.org. Roger in Clayton, thank you for calling Heart Health Radio. Hello, Doctor. Hey. This is Roger. Hey. Yes. I got a couple questions for you. Okay. Uh, what do you What do you think about giving vaccines to children? Okay. Um, specifically, I have two uh, grandchildren that are fourteen and sixteen. And they have some incredible rules regarding infections in the schools right now. Right. Sure. And I think it would be just simpler if they just all went and got a vaccine. I agree with you. I think that's a very good idea. Roger Alquist, um, I can recognize his voice anywhere. Yeah. Roger is a very special human being. I mean, all human beings are special, okay? But Roger sure. is special in that he has fought um, a genetic illness his whole life and is doing extremely well. He has something called alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency, which means that there's a protein that uh, that helps you repair damage in your lungs and prevent damage in your lungs, and he didn't have it, doesn't have it. Mm-hmm. Well, he does now, Yeah. thanks to Griffles, right? Griffles, remember we just talked about this. Yes. They take the plasma and they find this protein and they give it to Roger. Doesn't he sound good? <laughs> he does. He sounds great. Okay, let's get to Roger's question, though. I, I personally think that adolescents above the age of 12 should get vaccinated, every single one of them. Mm-hmm. Now, you want to know who won't get vaccinated in my family? Hmm. My 17-year-old daughter. Oh, yeah. And so I understand where this is coming from, um, but I think we should encourage every single child above the age of 12 to get vaccinated. And when they show that it's safe for infants and, and young kids, I think they should get vaccinated too. They There's going to be risks, but they're very small. They get they have to show vaccination for a lot of other things. Well, MMR, yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Right. Okay. And, now yeah. let me open this jar of worms because the CDC came out, and Roger, stay with us here. CDC came out and said that kids – in, ma- in masks versus kids not in masks in school doesn't make a difference. And, and I think that's amazing that the CDC was willing to admit that. Mm-hmm. And, and think about it. Um, kids are going to touch their face. Yep. Kids are going to sneeze in their mask. Yep. The masks are not covering their face. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't surprise me. Now, am I going to tell people that you should protest in the schools and rip your mask off and and be subject to expulsion and and losing your job no. no but i think i think if they say wear your masks just wear it what do you think roger unless you know roger let me ask you a question i mean you've got this lung illness don't masks when you wear them don't they bother you don't they make you yeah. feel bad 
I mean, you're yeah. inhaling all that carbon dioxide again. How do you how do you how do you do it? I can't breathe when I wear the mask. I kind of have to pull it down over my nose. Right, and then that makes it completely ineffective. <laughs> right, not blaming you. Uh, this is not. I'm not. You know, saying Roger is a dodger. Okay, um, but it, it's true. Uh, there are a lot of people who can't wear masks. Um, since you brought it up, yeah, I was wearing a mask and it was covering my mouth and my nose. Yeah, and somebody sneezed. Can I get it through my eyes? Uh, yeah, especially if you touch your eyes afterwards and then, you know, touch your nose or do what mm -hmm. Dave does before the show is pick your nose. Um, no! Uh, anyway, um, yeah, th there's plenty of ways to get That's why I see, you know, early on in the pandemic, remember those people wearing face shields? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and then even uh, uh, Fauci was saying wear face shields for a while. Right. Before it was the two masks. I was just waiting for three masks, okay? <laughs> I don't think masks are effective. Uh, that's my personal opinion. Right. Um, based on things that I have read and studied, that doesn't mean that I couldn't be wrong, um, but yeah. I haven't seen the scientific data. Right. And the one study that was really well done, uh, randomized mask or no mask, because it was in Western Europe, yeah. and it showed masks didn't help, and guess what? Yeah. They refused to publish it. Yeah. I mean, and it was peer-reviewed. Uh, it mm -hmm. was a great study. Um, and sometimes peer-reviewed great studies are wrong, but at least you should publish it and make, and make people understand. And I don't know if you remember in the beginning of all this, Fauci got up and said masks don't matter. Yeah. He said, don't wear a mask. Yeah, no. And of course, it turned out he was lying. He really believed in masks, but he then admitted that he didn't want people to steal them from uh, healthcare workers. So there's there's such uh, controversy. And Roger, Roger, I don't blame you for not yeah. wanting to wear a mask with your lung problems, which are, by the way, doing great. Yeah. Roger's just, you haven't been in the hospital in how long now, Roger? Uh, two years. And that's, that's amazing. Great. And that's we talked before, I don't even remember, Dave, about probiotics aerosolized into uh -huh. the air. Yeah. I learned that from Roger. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah. How's that device working, Roger? It's working great. Uh, and by the way, the last time I was in the hospital, it wasn't from uh, the Alpha One. It was the flu. The flu. So I, I haven't had an exacerbation in probably three years, which is yeah. the length of time I've had that uh, probiotics machine. Right. Very it's cool. amazing. We we, I, we should have Roger on the show along with, if you can, Roger, find out who invented this and find out who. I'm serious. You manufactured it. Yes. And then we'll have a little powwow with Roger the Dodger. We'll get and the we'll rep. go from there. But I will say this, Roger, your being hospitalized with influenza did have something to do with your Alpha One because you're more susceptible to a serious illness from influenza. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Probably so. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Doctor's always right, Roger. Thank you, Roger. Say hi to Margaret. All right. Take care, Roger. Yeah, right. this is one of the things I love about being a doctor. Yeah? I mean, really? the closeness that I have with a lot of my patients. I mean, Roger and Margaret are just, one, two, that's his wife, two wonderful, wonderful people. Wonderful. And it warms my heart just to hear that they're doing well. We're going to talk about the head of the CDC kind of not staying in her lane. Yeah. I, it's, the only way I can describe it is she, she's not quite in her lane when she talks about the things she wants to talk about. But that's that's coming up. Also, your phone calls, 919-860-9783. Always call between noon and 2 on a Saturday. 
on Heart Health Radio. Well, you know you make me wanna shout, kick my heels up and shout, throw my hands up and shout, throw my head back and shout. This is Heart Health Radio on the Heart Health Radio Network, where you can find us on Apple Podcasts. Or to the website, hearthealthradio.com. Who is Melissa Barr? Uh, I don't know Melissa, but if you're listening, she lives in Raleigh. And she went against uh, everything you read on Facebook about Mm -hmm. pregnant ladies getting vaccinated for COVID-19. And I don't know if you remember, there was some guy who said pregnant ladies shouldn't because the the antibodies accumulate in the placenta and they could blah, do all sorts of stuff, even though it was all wrong. She had the the chutzpah and the smarts to go get her COVID nineteen vaccine. She did very well. Yeah. And guess what? What on? Her little baby is immune. Really? Yeah. They tested the little baby, and I'm sorry, I can't remember if it's a little baby boy or a little baby girl, but she, Melissa Barr, she went to the doctor, the pediatrician. Said, Can you test my baby and see if the baby's immune? Mm-hmm. And sure enough, the antibodies had passed through the placenta into the baby and made the baby immune. So That's hats off to Melissa Barr. Thank you, Melissa. All right, Colleen in Raleigh. Hi, how are you, Colleen? I'm doing well, thank you. Good. Speak uh, right up and tell us what's going on. All right. My oldest daughter uh, came down with highs and felt terrible and Wound up going to a doctor, and he said, uh, "Well, I think you um, you've been exposed to shedding." He said, "I've had several patients." Okay, the so the phone is doing a funny, weird thing. I suddenly heard you well, but Colleen, right. the doctor Let's said that your again. daughter has been exposed to what? Shedding of the virus. Shedding. Shedding okay, of the virus. Yeah, okay. okay. And um, she broke out with. You know, real highs and was miserable for several days. Um, I I just wanted to know your thoughts on that. And the, is there any way you can get immunity with it? She, she's not a va- she does not want to be vaccinated. Okay, she doesn't want to get vaccinated, right. but she's been exposed, she thinks, uh-huh. because uh-huh. she had these hives. Okay. Uh-huh. And it, Well, here's what I would do is go get tested. I mean, it's real easy. Um, uh, everybody, you know, it's not a pleasant experience. Have no. you been tested, Dave? I've up the been Chinook? tested several times. Yeah, it's not pleasant. Um, and so then, you know, within a week, if you've been exposed and you have um, gotten the infection, it'll show up. Hives can be a sign. Um, it's very rare uh, to have hives only, but that, I mean, you know, you can be allergic to anything. That's what hives are, is an allergic mm-hmm. reaction. Mm-hmm. Um it's, it's hard to know. Uh, I'm going to tell you this right now. If I could have a chance to speak to your daughter, I would explain to her how great the vaccine is. Now, <laughs> I, I was not able to get through to my own daughter. Okay. She's 17. We went to the Shiny Diner in Clayton and had a real nice lunch. I took out my, you know, my pen and on the uh, uh, napkins and stuff I explain what the mrna was etc uh-huh. and she looked at me and she said ain't getting it dad <laughs> ain't getting it and so you know but it could be you know sometimes in families yeah you do exactly the opposite of what dad says so. <laughs> yes but anyway bottom line is um if it's just hives it could be but just have her go get tested and see what the story is um uh-huh. 
you know, the bottom line yeah, is it could be mm-hmm. good in one sense that she got it because mm-hmm. she's going to be immune after that, or right. mostly immune right. after that. Right. It, uh-huh. Is it possible if she's only had this minor sort of reaction? Oh, yeah. Is it possible the full immunity might not be hers? Well, let me tell you that's interesting is that we think that most cases of uh, COVID are asymptomatic. If right. not most, then a lot. Right. And those people are immune. Okay. okay. And one of the other reasons why some people are immune is that there is some cross-reactivity between the regular coronaviruses that cause common colds. Uh-huh. So there are people who had um, antibodies against the regular coronaviruses who were exposed to huge amounts of COVID-19 right. and never got it. Okay. And remember, it's not just antibodies. It's T-cells, the white blood cells that can be so strong mm-hmm. that they kill. Your Colleen, thank you very much. COVID. The head of the CDC yeah. says that it is now a public health issue, gun violence. Uh, and, you know, let me tell you, I've been talking about this for a long time, that, yes, it is a public health catastrophe slash epidemic of gun violence. Yes. And it is terrible. And it affects uh, over and above the percentage of the population, uh, black people in this country. Mm -hmm. If you are a young black man, the number one cause of death is murder. It's just period, that's what it is. And um, you you don't hear that because it's politically incorrect to say so. Um, if, If you ask the common person on the street what the number one cause of death by a black of a black man it would be murder by a policeman now, don't you think i mean that's yeah, yeah. that's what everybody thinks well there have been 15 true murders of young black men by policemen uh, unfortunately in the inner cities there have been close to 4000 young black men bystanders young children killed in gang crossfire or gang related illnesses i mean illnesses shootings yeah and so the CDC is finally wising up and saying, this is what I have said for years. This is a pandemic in and of itself, but it's an epidemic. It means it's here and it's getting worse. Um, if you noticed, if uh, you won't notice this if you look at the mainstream media only. But if you look at other forms of media, you realize that shootings are up now, 64% in New York. And in Chicago, every weekend, 10 people are murdered. Right. It's, it's terrible. So, yes, it is a, a, a public health emergency. But what is their solution? Well, I don't know. To make I, guns illegal. Okay, well, there's, there's that. But here's, here's the other question. If you ask someone on the street, same person you're asking about the other thing, if you ask somebody on the street, what is the job of the Centers for Disease Control they might be tempted to tell you it's control of disease. Right. But I will say this. They should not go out and, and confiscate guns. They can go out and try to fix, you know, infectious disease and cancer. But the vast majority of black men who are killed by guns, right. those guns are already illegal. Right. And the highest rates of murder of black men occur in, in inner cities, Chicago, New York, which have the strictest gun control laws. You right. know, David, if you if you have a gun in New York, yeah. you're going to jail, buddy. Right. This is Heart Health Radio. Another hour coming up.
Heart Health Radio is for information purposes only. Before taking any action, consult your doctor. The following is a paid program, and the views expressed are those of the hosts and guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPTF or Curtis Media Group. Information provided is of a general nature. Listeners seeking specific advice should contact a licensed professional in the appropriate area. Welcome to Heart Health Radio with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefall. Heart Health Radio, Heart Health Radio, oh, 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 hearthealthradio.com, Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio is meant for information purposes only. Before taking any action, talk to your doctor. And I said to myself, you know, after this week, you know, the, what I want to talk about is diabetes and heart disease. Yeah. I want to talk about diabetes and heart disease. Well, I think that's because you, uh, it's, near, a... it's near and dear to your heart. <laughs> yeah, I have a yeah. both. All right. So it's, a is sweet, there... it's a sweet topic for you. We it's got... near, near and dear to your heart. Is there any good news? There's great news. I'm um, just tremendous news. Now, I am not anti-insulin when insulin is necessary. Mm-hmm. Okay, Insulin is necessary if you have type 1. Diabetes. That means the cells, the beta cells, the islet cells that are in your pancreas have been attacked by your own body, set off sometimes by some sort of viral illness, and you stop making insulin. So this is a typical thing via yeah. a seven-year-old child, a nine-year-old child getting very sick right. and going to the hospital, finding out they have diabetes, and then they need lifelong insulin. Now, the great thing is they can lead a normal life now. Right. They even have an artificial pancreas that's, you know, outside the body. It measures your sugar, immediately gives you insulin, et cetera. But the vast majority of diabetics in this country are type 2. Mm-hmm. And that means that they have insulin resistance. They have their own insulin. It just doesn't work right. Mm-hmm. And so what I see or have seen, and now people are wising up, is that they were treating type 1 and type 2 the same. Mm-hmm. So you would get a baseline of insulin injected if you were a type 2, then you would check your sugars all the time, and you would give yourself a little bit of insulin to bring it down. Yeah. Now, what's wrong with that? I mean, it's, it would be like you're filling up a swimming pool with your garden hose, and to get it going a little faster, you get the fire truck out here, and you blast it full of more water. Yeah. Um, yeah, you'll get your sugars down, but number one, you'll gain weight. Insulin is associated, exogenous insulin, insulin you give yourself is associated with weight gain. Right. We have so many new medications out to treat type 2 diabetes. Um, number one thing we have out is the no-no diet. Get rid of flour. Get rid of sugar. Get rid of white rice. Get rid of white the inside of white potatoes. Eat the skins. Yeah. But... We still have so many doctors trained in the 70s, 80s, and early 90s before we had these excellent medicines, and they're still giving insulin out the wazoo. Mm -hmm. I am so mad about that commercial for the device you have. Was that a Freestyle Libre? Yeah. Some guy is sitting there with his Freestyle Libre pigging out. He's eating, you know, ice cream and candy. (laughs) He checks his Freestyle. He gives himself a little more insulin as though you can eat whatever you want. About two new drugs, well, no, two drugs that have been shown not just to treat your diabetes, but also to save your life if you have heart disease and to prevent you from having heart disease. Yeah. So th- I'm going to use brand names because I can't remember the generic names. Uh, Jardiance and mm-hmm. Farsija. The way they work is they make your kidney get rid of sugar. Believe it or not, 
your kidney holds on to sugar. If it's coming through the kidney, it says, oh, there's some sugar. Let's hold on to it in case we need some energy. Right. So these medications get what's called the glucose transporter. Well, bottom line is it makes you pee out sugar. Mm. It's been shown to not only help your diabetes, but if you have heart failure, it makes your heart failure a lot less worse. It, it can save your life. Now, it also has been shown to prevent the onset of heart failure and to reduce your risk of dying of a heart attack. Mm -hmm. The other medication that we have are called GLP-1s, and they make your own insulin work better. They make your body secrete the insulin when you need it. It makes the insulin work on the cells better. And those brand names are um, uh, Trulicity mm -hmm. and Ozempic and Bidurion. And now there's another one in the mix called Wegovi, and that's just Ozempic that has been repurposed as a weight loss drug. Right, And so now they're saying, oh, hallelujah, we've got a new way to treat obesity, and it's true. Right. But we can use Trulicity. We can use the other medications. And in my medical weight loss program, the GLPs, they're injectable. They're mm -hmm. done every once a week or a cornerstone to my weight loss therapy mm -hmm. uh, already. And so these medications, the injectable GLP-1s, have been shown to reduce the risk of death from heart disease and they're fantastic. Right. So if you're diabetic, first thing you do is follow the Dr. Weefy and Davey no-no yep. diet. No, no. Anything made out of white flour, anything made out of sugar, anything made out of inside of white potatoes and white rice. Yeah. Cut back as much as you can. Greens and meat are what you should eat. Yeah. Because when you're diabetic, you're not like non-diabetics who can handle sugar. The diabetics... For some reason, their insulin, their bodies, they take sugar, they store it as fat, they take sugar, they don't get rid of enough of it, so the sugar level rises in the bloodstream. Right. And um, it's just something you can do something about. And you can lose weight now uh, if you're diabetic and if you're non-diabetic. So if you are a type 2 diabetic, talk to your doctor. Ask him or her, what are these new medications? And there are certain people who shouldn't take them. So, right. for example, um, uh, Farsigia and, and Giardians, they can cause really nasty yeast infections. Now, think about why. Because when you pee out the sugar, and if it gets on your groin, okay, and it's kind of moisty down there, uh -huh. yeast love that. Okay. So, there are people who shouldn't be taking these medicines, and make sure your doctor prescribes them. But you got to ask, if they don't offer Go ahead and ask, what about these new medications that not only help diabetes, but help the heart? And now, even if you don't have diabetes, they're recommending you, if you have heart failure, that you go on either Farsigia or Giardians. Your sugar won't fall. That's the most amazing thing. Suppose you're not a diabetic. Yeah. You take these two medications. Your sugar doesn't fall. It's weird. But yeah, if is. you are a type 2 diabetic, your sugar will fall to normal levels. It's amazing. I will Amazing. tell you that the frustrating thing about being on insulin is that you don't want to get yourself a shot of insulin that you think is going to be enough and perfect to handle your sugars in your in your belly or in your blood and then goof it up because there's nothing worse than, than a, a low, low sugar. sugar event. And let me tell you, low sugar events can kill you. 
not only because you go into a coma if you can't rescue yourself, but they cause the body to excrete adrenaline. Now, why is that? Mm -hmm. Adrenaline will work on your cells to raise your sugar. It's the fight or flight phenomenon. You need a little more energy to run away from the tiger. Yeah. But it'll cause a heart attack because it'll constrict the artery. It'll break that cholesterol plaque. And it also enhances clotting. Now, why is that? You, the tiger's running after you, right? right? If it bites you, right, you better be able to clot more. Okay. Okay. So let me ask you a question. Sure. Because you have this device that's stuck in his arm, right? And it's you have the freestyle libre or the freestyle libre. Okay, it ran so, out, so I don't have it on my arm uh, now. Oh. Yeah. Sorry. So he could take his cell phone, tap his shoulder, yep, and know what his sugar is. Yep. Now let me let me ask you a question. Yeah. All right. You got to tell me the honest truth here. Sure. Do you do that so that you can eat a cupcake and give yourself a little more insulin to cover the cupcake? No, no, no. I don't do that. No. I'm staying away Are from cupcakes. Are you sure? Here's the thing. Are I, you sure? Yes. Because here's the thing. I have identified the insulin to belly fat ratio. Uh-oh. Okay. Or the, or the equation. I know that if I go ahead and eat that sugary thing or even a bread mm-hmm. or a big mm-hmm. pasta dish and give myself insulin, it's all going to my waist, mm-hmm. okay? It's going to my waistline. What? You're looking you, at me are, like... Let me tell you. I'm going to say this now. Yeah. You were a lot thinner a year ago. Yeah. You were following no-no better. I was following ago. no-no better. Now, what, let me ask you. Okay, this is good for our oh, listener. Oh, boy. What has made you drift away from the no-no? Is it the stress of having gone through surgery? Is it because you just can't stop? The white bread. Yeah, a little sure. of both. A little of both. Yeah, a little of both. It, you yeah. know, it honestly, it's it can uh, a, a restrictive diet. No matter whether you're restricting the types of foods you eat uh-huh. or whether it's the total calories. Uh-huh. And believe me, I've been through the whole thing. It is restrictive. Yeah, it's hard to stay on. Yeah, but th- you like steak, right? I like steak. All right, do you like broccoli? Sure. And I sometimes, that. sometimes what I'll do with it. Eat that with butter, man. At the school where I work, I will, I will go down the hallway and I will take my credit card or some loose cash and buy myself a nice steak and broccoli. Oh yeah, that's true. Okay. There, there's nothing, <laughs> honestly, there is nothing from a machine that is good for me. That's true. None. So pass by the machine. Pass by the machine. You had a bypass surgery. Bypass the machine. Bye. You know? <laughs> That's very good. All right. Brian in Pinehurst, thank you very much for taking the, the stress off me. Welcome to the show. You're <laughs> listening to Heart Health Radio and the Heart Health Radio Network. Hi, Brian. Hello. No worries. Hey, what's I up? I really enjoy you guys' show. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Let you know. I'm out here on the golf course right now, and I'm playing. Wow. Number two? No, not number two. I'm in Whispering Woods and Whispering Pines today. Uh-huh. And wow. it's hot. There's no yeah. airflow. But to give you in perspective your trick of rubbing a cold can against a carotid artery. Absolutely. I did that. My, my daughter had a horse show this morning, and I was getting hot. And so I trotted down to the little um, – uh, drink shack and got myself a cold bottle of water and I was great. And then you know what else I did? I bought a white hat. Yeah. And I could have stayed there forever. Brian, but I had to come did... here and do the show. Go. Brian? I'm sorry I interrupted you. No, 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 don't worry. I'm telling you, it was a matter of seconds. So I felt better. Really? 
Let me ask uh, you a question. Go ahead. You you go ahead. At my age, I'm 47. Youngster. Yeah, but I'm creeping up to 50 closer than I believe. Cardiovascular disease in my family, through an aspect, only goes down to a generation, maybe one or two past. So at my age, um, I'm pretty active. I don't exercise every day. I'm not too overweight. Uh-huh. So what age or where should I start becoming concerned that there's a, I need to be checked, whatever it may. I don't want a myocardial infraction or anything like right. that to happen if it's preventable. All right, so you're 47. I would have probably started seven years ago if it were you. Um, let me tell you, let me just say about me, there was no family history of cardiac disease in my family. And my cholesterol was huge, was just high. And so I thought I was invincible. And um, I wound up having a minor blockage. It's now almost gone, and I've really taken care of myself. Now, look at Dave. Dave knew that he had a family history. I mean, it's just a big, huge family history. Mm. So what do you do if you have sort of a family history, and you're 47 years old, and you wonder? Well, what you do is you get a doctor, and you have that doctor assess your risk. Okay, now how do you assess your risk? I think family history is the most important thing. If your brother, your mother, your father have had serious heart disease, you are at much greater risk to get it. It's not 100%. I can't tell you. Mm -hmm. The number of people, it was like uh, one guy out of nine children, eight of his, you know, the rest of them had heart disease, and, and mom and dad did too, and he was having chest pain, and we did his heart cath, yeah. And it was normal. So genetics are, are not 100%. But what you need to do is know what your cholesterol is. And you need to know that number. And the most important number is the LDL. And then you need to know what your hemoglobin A1C is. You need mm-hmm. to know if you have uh, even uh, a slightly higher one. And you need to know what your CRP is. And I don't mean crap. I mean the C-reactive protein because that tells you how much inflammation is in your body. So the higher the LDL cholesterol, the higher the hemoglobin A1C, and the higher the CRP, the higher your risk in the setting of a family history. Mm-hmm. And then don't smoke, and then do what you're doing is exercise, but keeping yourself cool. And I'm gonna go out on a limb, because it's not, and this is not recommended by everybody, the American Heart Association has sort of a pseudo recommendation, but I would get a CT scan. It's called a calcium score. And when you have a cholesterol blockage, <clears throat> most of the time, you get a little bit of calcium involved. We had a patient talk about last week who had a zero calcium score and had to have triple vessel bypass surgery. So it's not 100% accurate. But if your calcium score is low, but you still have some calcium, I would be very aggressive in getting your cholesterol level down. Don't believe what people say about statins. Um, statins are wonderful medications. They save lives. They're the number one reason why we've been able to reduce the death rate in this country from and, and in Europe and everywhere else from heart disease, and that's because of statins and also stroke. Um, aspirin, if you have a, a lot of cholesterol buildup, if you have um, very high risks, you ask your doctor, you might benefit from taking an 81 milligram aspirin a day. So what I would say to you is get checked out. Um, 
And those are the things that I would do. Now, suppose you have a high calcium score. I have a patient who came uh, to see me because of this show, Mm -hmm. and he had a really high calcium score, and he was really worried, but his stress test was negative, and he's doing well, and we're treating him medically. So those are the things that I would do, but the most important thing is get a doctor who cares and who's going to be thorough, going to listen to you, and he or she will guide you in the right direction. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Hey, have you played pine, uh, played pine needles? Uh, actually, yes, I'm playing tomorrow. My dad uh, lives in pi- on pine needles, so he's a he member there. So yeah. as yeah. you're asking, I'm playing tomorrow, sir. All right, listen, tell whoever is a member, I'll let him come up to Raleigh Country Club and play with me <laughs> if he can get me on pine needles, okay? Hey, Dr. Weepaw, we'll, we'll take care of that. We'll make All sure right. that handle. Love you. You take care. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is Heart Health Radio, where, of course, you can, you can get better, stay healthy, spot medical misinformation, and book a foursome. Yeah. They're right here on this radio show on the Heart Health Radio Network. This is Heart Health Radio, FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Glad to have you listening. we we'll love to have you participating. Ken in Clayton, welcome to the radio program. Hi. All right. Hey, good afternoon, gentlemen. Yeah, hey. what's up? Let's see. I had bypass surgery when I was 38. 38. Good for you. Caught you in yeah. time. I don't know if that's good or not, but I guess it was because I'm 67 now. Good. See? That's great. Uh, Question is, okay, first, cholesterol was higher than the mortgage payment. Uh, (laughs) I've never heard that before. That's a great way to put it. Oh, you should have heard me when the doctor said, uh, what do you think about bypass? I said, oh, bypass would be great around Fuquay. (laughs) (laughs) I actually explain what a bypass is by by talking about seventy bypass. You know, <laughs> going through Clayton, all the stoplights; those are your ath- like cholesterol buildup. Seventy bypass, just free movement all the way along. That is exactly right. Yep. Anyway, uh, and I used to work there at PTF. In fact, uh, Dave, you might remember me. I took your place on the trader a couple of Sundays. That's great. Years and years and years ago. Didn't you love that show? Man, that was so yes, much fun. I, did. I used to listen to that when I was mowing the yard. <laughs> I'm serious. So, so Clint, Ken, what's going on now? Okay, uh, I am taking a cocktail of about 15 different medications. That's a lot. Yeah. Oh, it, it is ridiculous. Keeping track of them is, is horrendous. Uh, but and some I have to take twice a day, morning and at night. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Heart type two diabetes, a uh, little bit of hypertension. Uh, what else? Uh, uh, okay. High cholesterol. High cholesterol. Oh, okay. Gosh, yes. How are your ankles? Uh, your ankles look thick. Nope. Okay. Actually, I'm, I'm just asking. I'm pretty good shape right now yeah all right uh the question is is there a optimum combination of the drugs to take either you take these in the morning and oh, these yeah. at night uh yes 
good question. Let, let me tell you the answer. Um, well, I, I will say this. Don't stop any of them. You sound like you're doing great. Yeah. Um, a lot of medications. I take four. But 15 is a lot. Um, okay. In the morning, it's always best to take your diabetes medication. Okay. Sometimes people take their insulin, the Lantus, the long-acting one at nighttime. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to take things like Farsegia, if you're going to take the meds we've talked about in the morning. Now, beta blockers. Now, those are the ones that prevent adrenaline from stressing your heart out and getting your um, blood pressure down. Best yeah. to take those in the evening at night. Okay. You know why? No. A lot of heart attacks, most heart attacks occur in the early morning at 7, 8 o'clock at night, in the morning. You know why? No. You know why? Anyway, I'll I, tell you why. I don't. Because when you wake up, <laughs> your body starts producing adrenaline around 4 a.m. to 5 a.m. on average. Uh-huh. If you have that beta blocker in your system, it prevents that from stressing your heart. Okay. So best to take those uh, before you go to bed. Now, cholesterol medication. Do you know the best time to take a cholesterol medication? No. Supper. Really? Okay. Well, wait a minute now. Supper. Din- no, yeah, supper. Dinner in where I grew up in Yankeeville was at seven, 6 p.m. Dinner apparently in the South is at 2 p.m. or 1 p.m. Okay. But anyway, your evening meal. Yes. The reason is your liver produces more cholesterol at night. And people need to realize this. Cholesterol is not what you eat. That's a small percentage. Your liver makes most of your cholesterol. So the way that cholesterol medications work is they prevent the liver from making so much. Best to take those in the evening. And I think those are really the only three classes that you should take at a certain time. Now, before you do anything about it, Ken, check with your da 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 doctor. Okay. Ken doesn't know what that's from. We'll explain that in just a moment. <laughs> Thank you, Ken. I appreciate your phone call. This is Heart Health Radio and the HeartHealthRadio.com. Welcome to Heart Health with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefald. Call us with your health questions at 919-860-9783. This is is Heart Health Radio. Sorry, I I did it again. This is Heart Health Radio. What'd you do again? I almost said making your home great. Oh, well, you know what? When, when, When you listen... Yeah. To Heart Health Radio, you make your home great. Yeah, yeah you do. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So I meant to say that. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the uh, what, was there something we needed to correct from the last segment? We, I thought we corrected it. 715 deaths instead of 4,000 deaths. Okay. All right. There, there, was something, there was something I wanted to talk about, and I'll, I'll give it 10 seconds. I'll give it more than that. The U.S. Surgeon General, this is almost a quote, says there's not nearly enough social media censorship. Oh, boy. In other words, there's so much misinformation, right. doctor, that we should in some way limit people's access to yeah. information. Yeah. Okay. There, there are two ways to look at this. One way is that, you know, there are idiots out there saying crazy things on the Internet that sure. people believe. I believe that, yes. And the other way of looking at it is that one of the great foundations of this country has been freedom of speech. So let's give an example of uh, why we should not restrict the internet. Okay. Remember last year in April, March, April, if you had the nerve to say that 
COVID-19 might have come, I'm not saying did come, might have come from the Wuhan lab, you know what happened to you? You'd be kicked off of Twitter, kicked off of Facebook for, quote unquote, misinformation. Right. And so now what do we know? I think that not only is it likely, based on the circumstantial evidence, of course, but you know, you can go to jail for circumstantial evidence. There's no yeah. such thing. No, there's no, nothing wrong with circumstantial evidence. But the circumstantial evidence points to, uh, more likely than not, that it came from the Wuhan lab. Mm-hmm. And so now they're letting that on the Wuhan lab. Yeah. Okay, so look at the Taliban. You know, the Taliban are allowed on Twitter and Facebook. Yeah. But former President Trump is still not. So what do you say to the, the Taliban are calling for the destruction of Israel, for the you know, killing of infidels who are mm-hmm. non-Muslims, mm-hmm. and yet they won't let President Trump on Facebook. So what I'm trying to say is I am in favor of free and unfettered speech. And what we have to do is have free and unfettered speech to correct the misinformation, not to not let people talk, because when we do that, we are threatening the truth, and we right. got to stop. All right, Brock Emmons of Triangle Radiant Barrier arrived early. Yeah, he, I think he had something to say. And there's always that chance if somebody arrives early, we're going to throw a microphone in front. Yeah, I absolutely. Noticed. Yeah. So, what did you want to ask Brock? I I want to know how many people that you work with um, are concerned about the environment in their house being healthful and healthy. A great deal. Yeah. Um, so what are, the, what are the major things in your house that can kill you? Airborne contaminants, yeah. um, you know, mold and bacterial growth. You Those are really have huge reaction. problems, aren't yeah, they? They can be. Mold can is be. huge, isn't it? Typically under the house, unless there's a, a water leak inside that's caused some, mm-hmm. some premature eroding or damage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, black mold is the, the cancerous stuff. That's if you release the spores, it can cause a plethora of health that issues. That sounds horrible. Spores. The spores. Release uh, the release spores. Release the Kraken. I yeah. saw that movie. Yeah. <laughs> so where, where does black mold hide the most? Is it in the crawl space? Is it in... The attic, is it in the wall where you had that leak that you never knew about? All of the above are a possibility. Most Uh of the time, it's not going to happen in the attic unless you've had some sort of of roof leak that went untreated for Uh an extended period of time. Now, is it smelly? In other words, can you have black mold and not even know it? It doesn't stink? Yes, it does not produce much of a smell at all. Now, white mold, which... Uh, produces a very musty smell. That is. I that thought mold. that was Dave Alexander. It's no, white is mold. That the mustiness in the room is Dave. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's me. That stuff, but that stuff is not overly harmful. It can cause okay. issues with asthmatic patients. Can cause uh, upper respiratory issues if you ever have if you have a, an ongoing upper respiratory infection. Some of those people have had uh, a reaction to white mold, but most of the time, those are the only side okay. effects. So. Who should look for mold? I mean, shouldn't everybody, shouldn't everybody have like a mold examination of their home? Yes. And and you can be. I mean, I had a lot of pe- a lot of patients come in saying they've got chronic, you know, irritation of their eyes, chronic runny nose, stuff like that. It turns out to be a mold issue. But you don't really have to have 
ongoing severe symptoms to have a potential mold problem that could hurt you in the future, right? That's right. So what do you do? Is it 1-800-MOLD? I mean, who do you there's, call? There's, no. a, there's a lot of them out there. Him. Uh, okay. Him. You call Come Brian. Do you know? Do you know how many times I check my the, the crawl space for mold? Uh, never. Never. I send Brock, okay, or somebody with his team, because, right? Because even if you suspect you don't need any work done, mm-hmm. people will call and they'll have you crawl under and then they'll say, yeah. is there any mold? Yeah. Well, I mean, actually, last week we had a, a young lady who was in a two-year-old house and mm-hmm. we went out. Just cra- two years old. Two years old. The house looked flawless. I opened up the crawl space. Everything looked nice and nice and clean. Yeah. But there in the middle, you could see some insulation hanging down. Well, she had an interior water leak that had been going on for and quite some know. time. And didn't know. I didn't know. And mm-hmm. there was about 15 by 15 feet of, of black mold up there that needed okay. to be remediated. Now, luckily, she caught it before it started eating up the subfloor. But... Yeah, I'd say once a year, maybe have somebody go down there and do an inspection just for peace of mind. Can, can you um, get uh, keep mold from coming in by having a fan blow fresh air through your crawl space? Does that work? I've heard people say that. The theory is sound. It's not overly effective. Okay. We put a lot of sensors in crawl spaces, so we're able to monitor relative humidity after we're done. Okay. So we know what does and does not work. But does the sensor detect mold? It does not, but it detects high relative humidity. So if the humidity gets over 70, you're going to reach dew point. Now you've got condensation. Now you've got mold growth. Right. Well, listen, come early next time because I want to talk about radon. I'm ra- Oh, that is a great yeah. topic. Oh, man, uh, that's a great you- topic. No, come on. I no. had five Princeton uh, classmates yeah. mm-hmm. die no. of lung cancer. Mm-hmm. Not a single one smoked, and they were all from the same region in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. That has the highest levels of radon. Radon. So we'll talk about radon. It's really important. We've got Next a fix time. for that. Next time. Next All time. Right. Uh, Michael Schweitzer from Luxury Bath and Windows and Joel Worsham of Comfort First Heating and Cooling will be on Making Your Home Great in just a few minutes. Oh, good. Along with Brock Emmons of Triangle Radiant Barrier. Thanks, Brock. Brock. Isn't that a man's name? It is. It like is instead a... of Davy and Weefy, Brock. All right, now, now, Brock, tell him. Tell them the secret about your first name. Uh, well, actually, uh, Brock is my middle name, but that. Oh, uh, uh, let me. What's your first name? No, Wimpy. No, 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 Daryl. No, no, no. Wimpy. What Wimpy is it? Wimpy Daryl. No, that's right. It is Brock. There have been several Brocks uh, in your family. That, that name has been in my family lineage, uh, lineage since the 1500s, apparently. And oh the my first God. four members in my family with the name Brock were female. <laughs> well, it sounds good. Used to in be this a day and age, name. right? <laughs> that's right. Yeah, but what is your real first name? I want to know. Daryl. Daryl. And right. your other brother, Daryl? Yeah, that's I have three other brother Daryls. <laughs> Thank you. All right. We'll, we'll tune in to Making Your Home Great coming up in just a few minutes. Bill in Raleigh, good to hear from you. How are you? Uh, doing okay. Um, uh, just wanted to say a good program. Thank, Thank you. you. I'm getting an echo or feedback uh, on my, re- my conversation. Uh, All right, uh, Bill. Uh, Bill, uh, turn uh, down the radio. And only oh, listen in the off. phone. Yeah. yeah, all right. Well, I never turn it off. Um, yeah. Um, doctor, um, I got a question for you. Uh, want some advice? Sure. Uh, I don't want to complain, but I want to give you a pre- prerequisite of what I'm looking for. Uh-huh. I'm looking for a primary care physician sure. to take the place of the one that I have. Now, the prerequisite is when I was um, when I was a college athlete, um, you know, doctors 
uh, have to keep the athletes healthy yeah. so that they can perform at their at their peak. Right. And that's what I'm looking for in a primary care physician. I mm. want a doctor that wants to be like a, a team player. I know that's probably going against uh, your medical training, but no, no, I, no. I want a primary care physician that's going to treat me and put up with my um, idiosyncrasies and whatever. Yeah. and try to try to keep me in the best possible shape I can be in. Sure. Um, how, how old are you? I'm 69. And, had, and not to go into details, heart. do you have any chronic medical problems now? Uh, well, I, I'm on a Corvidolol or Corvid. Uh-huh. Um, uh, I had open heart surgery to replace a valve. I got sure. a, 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 a bovine valve in okay. right now. Uh, October it'll be five years that I had a bovine valve. Yeah. Well, that's good. good. Good kind of valve. All right, let's let's talk about primary care. Um, you would be perfect for someone who's called an internal medicine specialist. Now, what does that mean? Before you go to heart school, you have to go to internal medicine residency training, and that is everything from neurology to nephrology, which is the kidneys to pump. You had to learn everything. And where I went um, at Johnny Hopkins, Johns Hopkins, boy, they really taught you everything. And you really had to be on your toes and know everything. You have a need for someone who is a multi-system specialist, somebody who knows the heart, knows the lungs, if you get diabetes, can treat that. One of the things that I find wrong with the concept of primary care today as a gatekeeper is that they basically hear your story and send you to a cardiologist. And then right. you bounce back from the cardiologist and you got a little bit of sugar. They send you to an endocrinologist. You right. bounce back from the endocrinologist yeah. and you cough and they say, up, oh, up, oh, pulmonologist. Exactly. What, what I think is best for people like Dave and for people like you who have had heart disease is to go to an internist or an internal medicine specialist um, who's been trained for three years, is board certified for the most part, and can treat all the problems that you have to a very high degree. And then suppose, for example, you need a stress test, you need you know, the possibility of bypass surgery. That's what the cardiologist is for. Not just because you've had a heart problem. The diabetologist is for someone who's been on the right medications, has been on the right diet, and it's not working. And you might have something called type 1.5 diabetes, which people don't understand. Um, And so uh, what I see nowadays with complex patients is Mm -hmm. that they have a physician's assistant or a nurse practitioner, which they're great, they're wonderful, as their primary care physician. And basically, it's a ping pong tournament. Yeah. Over to the cardiologist, bing, over to the pulmonologist, bing. And what happens? You go to the cardiologist and say, hey, doc, my sugar is 400. (laughs) What's the cardiologist going to say? Nope, I'm not going to deal with that. You go back to your primary care. So then you wait six weeks to get into your primary care, quote unquote. And what do they do? Hmm. Go to the endocrinologist. And then it's six weeks. So when I stopped going to the hospital, I used to be one of these ping pong doctors, okay? I wouldn't mm-hmm. even hear. I didn't want to hear about your sugar because you had a primary care physician or a diabetologist, and I, requ- I depended upon them for referrals. 
And if I started doing their work, they get mad and they wouldn't send me more heart patients. Well, since I stopped going to the hospital for many reasons and I'm, I'm in the office and I realized that the reason why I had so much work as a cardiologist <laughs> is because nobody was taking care of the sugar. Nobody was taking care of the blood pressure. Nobody was taking care of the cholesterol. I started doing it. Yeah. And now I have a lot of people who come to me as their primary care physician as well. Now, amongst cardiologists, you know, there's, they stick their nose up at cardiologists who do primary care. Oh, I don't have to do primary care. I just put stents in. Yeah. I don't have to do primary care. I just put defibrillators in. Now, that's all fine and dandy if you want more stents and more <laughs> defibrillators. But I don't. I mean, what I want to see mm-hmm. are people flourish, um, yeah. not have to do that. Sounds yeah. like you've had pretty good care. I, yeah. I can't over the phone tell you. Where do you live? Raleigh. Raleigh. Okay. Yes. There are some really good internal medicine people in Raleigh. I mean, really, really good practices associated with Wake Med, associated with, uh, with the other hospitals in town, um, but also some really good internists who are in you know, solo private practice um, in Raleigh. Uh, one of them is Rakesh Patel. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's a really good guy. I'm not going to start giving out names, but you can do some research and look for internal medicine people. And you know what? You can give a doctor a tryout. Did you not know that? You can what? get an appointment with a physician and, and try them out. And what happens is you don't got to stay. You, excuse me. I'm speaking Johnson. You do not have to stay there. <laughs> you ain't got to go to that guy all the time now. No, all right. And, and you can try out some doctors. My, um, my daughter lives in Atlanta. And she needed a physician, and we found a really good internal medicine specialist. She had tried out some other ones, and she mm-hmm. found a really good one. So uh, sounds like you've had excellent care, um, and you've you've been through some some you know some hardship and and come back uh, medically. But my recommendation would be if you're not satisfied with your primary care physician, find an internal medicine specialist, try him out or her out, and and have someone who can take care of all your problems. Except when they're um, not getting better with his or her care. Instead of bouncing around to different specialists, um, find an internal medicine specialist who can take care of everything except when it's not going well. Bill, thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. You have a great day. We're going to talk. If we have time in the minutes left in this radio program, we'll talk about my visit to a doctor who got one visit. Oh, okay. I went... And it was one visit, and I wasn't going back. Oh, boy. I was not going back. Uh, we'll talk about that and also B12 deficiency. It's important because it's an epidemic. Really? Yeah. Well, we'll Big talk time. about that coming up next on Heart Health Radio. Well, you know you make me want to kick my heels up and This is Heart Health Radio, which you can listen to just by tuning into this radio station. You know that, of course. Also, you can sign up on Apple Podcasts or, easier still, go to hearthealthradio.com, and there is a link Mm -hmm. to today's show. Mm -hmm. So you want to talk about B12 deficiency, Yeah, um, I don't know the answer to why, but I am coming up with all sorts of patients who have B12 deficiency. Now, vitamin B12 comes from a lot of things, um, vegetables, meat, liver. I don't, mm-hmm. do, you ever, do you eat liver? 
Love it. Oh, yep. Yeah, I hate liver. Ugh. Anyway, it is important in all sorts of things your nerves, your muscles, your brain. It's an essential vitamin. Yes. And we never used to check it. Never. And because, you know, who got B12 deficiency? People who have Crohn's disease because they can't absorb it. Now, B12 is funny. It, it's the vitamin gets in your stomach, has to be acid in the stomach. Mm-hmm. Then there is something called intrinsic factor, which gets excreted from the stomach, binds a B12. Then it travels all the way through your gut to the terminal ileum, where it's a No way. Yeah, it's a strange bird. But any one of those things can interrupt the absorption of B12. And you don't make your own B12. Okay? okay, you can make your own vitamin D through sunshine, but not B12. So I am seeing now really low B12 levels in so many patients. Now, most of them will say, yeah, I'm tired, I'm weak, I've got tingling in my fingers. And for a lot of them, you give them B12, and this has to be uh, a liquid under your skin. Um, a shot. Yeah. Because if, if if you give them oral B12 and they're not absorbing it to begin with, they're maybe not absorbing it. Now, it you never know, makes it to the terminal ileum. Right. You know about that. I got this figured out. All right. The terminal ileum is where a small bowel hits your colon, all right? Okay. If you have Crohn's right. disease, that's inflamed. You know all this stuff. I know oh, wait this a minute. Stuff. Wait a minute. Weren't you that guy in the back um, in medical uh, school? row at medical school? Yeah, I was. Snoring all the time? Back row, yes, yes, that would have been me. All right, so what are the five signs of B12? <laughs> if you don't get it at B12, your nerves don't develop that nice, healthy glow. Have you ever seen a nerve glow? Never. Yeah, when I got exposed to uh, radiation, my nerves were glowing. Anyway, pins and needles in the feet. Yeah. I'm telling you that people think it's a neuropathy. Yeah. Okay, neuropathy means the nerves aren't doing well. Well, the reason why the nerves aren't doing well is because B12's not there to help the nerves stay healthy with the outer coating called the myelin sheath. Hmm. Of course, it could be to other things, but you don't know. Um, the other thing it can be is weak muscles. You can just feel weak all over. Your muscles can't do it. Yeah. Brain fog, which is what I had in the first hour of the show. Amen. Yes. Yeah. The second hour, I was just, I saw Brock and he basically got me all perked up thinking about mold. Yeah, absolutely. Now, why can you have B12 deficiency? Well, if you don't if you if you just start a vegan. Now, you can get B12 from broccoli and stuff. But apparently meat sources are more highly absorbed. Um, the other thing is, you remember I told you you had to have a certain level of acid in your stomach for B12 to bind to intrinsic factor. Yeah. Well, what do people take all the time now? What? Omeprazole. Uh, Pepsid, everybody's, you know, taking something for acid reflux now. Right. I mean, it's like, hey, give me a Pepsid. You know, I I burped. And so they think now that a uh, acid environment, which is is not adequate because you're taking too many acid reducers, may be one source of B12 deficiency. Yeah. Okay. You know, and they're even saying, don't take a Meprazole for more than six weeks now. Did you know that? Imeprazole is what? Prilosec. Yeah, because okay. it may hurt your bones. Uh, may make your bones weak. I don't know if that's true or not. They haven't done the study. But I'm trying to get people off of long-term uh, proton pump inhibitors like Imeprazole. And, uh, you know, the problem is some people have acid reflux so bad, if you get them off of it, they burn up their esophagus, and then they get esophagus cancer. Oh, my God. So, anyway, B12. 
ask your doctor. You may have a normal B12, but you'd be surprised. I would say 20% of my patients are B12 deficient now. Well, you're going to drag people out to the medicine shop today to get B12. Now, let me tell you, if you do that, don't worry. Okay. Because it's a B vitamin. Now, B vitamins are water-soluble. Yes. So I tell my patients, I don't think you're going to benefit from taking B6, B12, blah, 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 because you're otherwise healthy and eating a healthy diet. But you can't hurt yourself with that. Okay. Because if you take, I mean, Brock, do you take a B vitamin? Um, I, I take the men's health vitamins on my counter that my wife got for me. Okay. Men's Have health. you ever noticed if you take a B12, a B vitamin, yeah. what happens to your urine? Yeah. It turns Changes. bright yellow. Yes. Why yes. is that? Because you're getting rid of anything you don't need. So water-soluble vitamins can't hurt you because what your body doesn't absorb or take in, you'll pee out. Now, that's not true about vitamin A. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are so many. Vitamin A is associated with good eyesight. Yes, it is. But don't take supplements mm-hmm. because if you keep doing that, there's plenty of stories where you go blind from too much vitamin A because it's fat-soluble and it will stay in your body. Vitamin D is good. But an overdose of vitamin D can hurt you. It's fat soluble. Okay. So vitamin K, yeah. good for you know clotting and stuff. So B you can get away with, to be or not to be. Yeah. But if they're not Bs, don't supplement yourself. Okay. Okay. You got so, that? Yeah. So my primary care physician sent me to a specialist. He he sent me to a specialist for, I don't know, liver, kidneys. I don't know. What was wrong with your liver? With nothing, it was some. It was some sort of protein score that was slightly higher than it should be. Uh, and this is the ping pong effect. Okay, bing, the bing, ping pong bing. effect. Ricochet so the, doctor. So I get in the doctor's office, and he starts talking to me about my treatment plan. He says, "All of my patients are on plant-based diets." Oh lordy! All of my patients are on plant-based diets, and 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 this is before he's even aware of what my deal is what my number is you know i don't even think he looked at the labs if a doctor tells you all of his patients are on plant-based diets what does that tell you about him that he doesn't know jack he doesn't know how to treat me he just has a plan for everybody right and he wants me to fit to it okay let let me just say about plant-based diets yeah fine they work Sure. As long as you get enough protein. And that's very hard to do for a vegan, okay? I have not, my sister was a vegan for a long time. I have nothing against it. But you really got to work on that protein. And I want to I wanna just ask you something, yeah. okay? Brock. Yes, sir. No, no, for no, we're millions of billions of years, I'm what sorry, did people eat? I'm sorry, our time eat? is done. Meat! Yeah, our time is done. Spam! Eat, eat meat, we'll meet you back here next week.